You're listening to an audio sermon from Redemption Church in Olds, Alberta. It is our prayer that through this ministry, we will see lost people saved, saved people matured, and mature people multiplied all to the glory of God. For more information about our church, or to let us know how we can be praying for you, visit us online at www.redemptionolds.com or send us an email at info at redemptionolds.com. What, what a morning. Um, Amber's baptism is the perfect picture of what we're going to be celebrating today. Rising up out of the water is just like Jesus rising up out of the tomb. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. So two weeks ago, uh, Pastor Chris from Red Deer, Redemption Red Deer, came and spake, spoke to us, and he taught us a valuable lesson about the seriousness of sin and how too often we try to excuse our sins away so that we can avoid dealing, having to deal with them properly. Last Sunday, we talked about the weeks of, uh, the events of Holy Week, rather, in Jerusalem, which started with the triumphal entry of, uh, into Jerusalem by Jesus on the donkey's colt, and then we ended that Sunday with Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, and we saw how he was praying, and we examined what Jesus went through in those three hours in the garden. When we were last together on Good Friday, we went over the events between Gethsemane and the last three hours that Jesus spent on the cross at Calvary. And we tried to determine a value for the work that Jesus did on our behalf to pay for our sins. At the end of that sermon, we had finished off with Jesus having just given up his spirit on the cross. I also challenged you to think about the fear and confusion and feelings of hopelessness that the followers of Jesus may have been experiencing at that time. These disciples had just lost their beloved friend, teacher, rabbi, the leader of a burgeoning new movement, and they watched him die in the most horrible and shameful way possible. But today, today on Resurrection Sunday, we will spend some time concentrating on the glory of the resurrection and how we can put our faith in a risen Jesus Christ. Not a blind faith based on hopes and conjecture, but a true faith based on evidence and reason that can withstand questions and doubts. So we'll be starting in Mark chapter 16. So turn with me, if you will, in your Bibles. If you don't have your Bibles with you, what the heck, it's Easter Sunday. There should be a Bible in the back of the pew in front of you. Uh, So if you want to turn to Mark chapter 16, if you don't have a Bible at home, please take that Bible that's there with you home. Um, It's very important. We feel it's very important to have God's Word in front of you, and we want you to have easy access to God's Word. So if you don't have a Bible at home, take that one home as our gift. And I know you're all getting kind of comfortable, but since it's Resurrection Sunday, could I just please ask you to rise while we read God's Word? So Mark 16 says, When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Salome bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. 
And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him? But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Let's just bow. Father, we just thank you for this opportunity to come and study your word. We want to dive deeper to get to know you uh, more closely and more, more intimately. I just pray for my words to be your words, my thoughts to be your thoughts. If there's something that I've prepared or am saying that is not in keeping with your will, please allow it to fall on deaf ears. We just pray for the empowerment and the presence of the Holy Spirit this morning to open up our hearts and minds to your words. But above all these things, we do thank you for your grace and for your love. We pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Please be seated. So, this morning, I'm going to try and show how we can give Jesus all the glory that he deserves for the resurrection, based solely on his actions and what he accomplished during his earthly ministry. We're going to start here in Mark 16, but then we are going to go over other passages in Mark and some in the other Gospels to round out our view on the resurrection of Jesus. One quick note, Mark makes a concentrated effort to mention the women that were with Jesus in Jerusalem during the Passover weekend. In Mark 15, 41, just a couple of verses ahead of where we were, uh, this is at the death of Jesus at the foot of the cross, Mark records, when he was in Galilee, they followed him and ministered to him, and there were also many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem. So some of the women even, so there was a lot of women that traveled with Jesus, and some even uh, provided financial support for Christ. And women played an important role in the ministry. But notice in here in chapter 15 and 16, notice the lack of the mention of men at the foot of the cross. As a matter of fact, in all four Gospels, only John, the youngest son of Zebedee, is mentioned in the Gospel of John. Now, before we get too hard on, on the men, there was a, a good reason for this. Jesus was tried as a traitor to the Roman Empire. And in those times, the Roman Empire, what they did to put down a resurrection is they not only crucified the leader, but they rounded up any of the people that were involved with it, and they would crucify them at the same time. So there's, it's not unusual that the men uh, of followers of Christ had, had scattered and were in hiding. John was there, and I think maybe because he was younger, maybe he thought that the Roman soldiers wouldn't notice him or see him as a threat. Um, but anyway, it was, it was interesting that from the cross in the morning when Jesus was hanging there, he was concerned enough about his mother that he appointed John to be her caregiver after his death. So even while he's hanging there on the cross, he's still concerned for others. So let's go back to Mark, Mark verse, uh, sorry, 16, verse one. We know the execution of Christ took place on a Friday, and then all the devout Jews were supposed to observe Jewish law and rest on the Sabbath, which is Saturday for us. But in the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 27, Matthew reports in a very indirect way that the conspiring uh, Jewish religious leaders 
continued even on the Sabbath. He writes in his gospel, the next day, that is, the day of preparation, the chief priests, sorry, that is the day after the day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate. So the day of preparation was the day before the Sabbath. Confused yet? So what, Mark is saying, what Matthew is saying, the day after the day of preparation, the religious leaders were conspiring with Pilate. I would say on the Sabbath, the religious leaders were conspiring, uh, but Matthew's being a bit more diplomatic. So the day after preparation day was actually the Sabbath. The leaders gathered with Pilate on the Sabbath and asked that a Roman seal be placed on the tomb. The Roman soldiers were to be placed outside the tomb and the Jewish leaders were afraid that the followers of Jesus may come and steal his body to claim that the resurrection had taken place, as Jesus said. So Matthew 26, sorry, Matthew 27, 66 records, so they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard. The way that they sealed the tomb, it wasn't, it wasn't a really complex thing. They took a short piece of cord, a couple of, uh, a bit of hot wax, and what they would do is, so think of a door, your doorway. On one side of the door, they would put some hot wax, put the cord in, and then they had a, a brass seal for the Roman Empire, and they would melt the wax, allow the wax to harden around the seal. That would hold one side of the cord. And then on the other side, of, on the door itself, they would put another blob of wax and put the cord there. So that was the seal. Very similar to what the police use today on crime scenes. So it's not, it wasn't like a big lock and clasp or anything, but it, it carried with it the penalty of death. So everyone knew that if that seal was broken, whoever was found to have broken it would face the death penalty. So it didn't have to be very strong because it carried the weight of the entire Roman Empire behind it. So Matthew goes on to record that the two Roman soldiers were placed there to guard the tomb and ensure the integrity of the scene. And what happened to the guards? Well, in Matthew chapter 28, verses two to four, Matthew says, and behold, there was a great earthquake for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes white as snow. And for fear of him, fear of the angel, the guards trembled and became like dead men. So Mark's gospel often reads like, like the, uh, a script of an action movie. Mark leaves out a lot of the details. He's, he's action, action, action. He's always moving on, moving on. So that's why I brought up uh, the details out of, um, out of Matthew for this morning, just to give us a bit more of a background picture. So some, some preparations have been completed on the Friday night. The gospel mention, writers mentioned several people helping to prepare the body of Jesus for burial, including Joseph of Arimathea, who asked for the body of Jesus and provided an unused tomb of a rich man, and that was actually to fulfill a prophecy out of Isaiah 53, verse nine. Nicodemus, John mentions that Nicodemus was also there. He supplied some of the ointments and some of the, the uh, spices for the preparation of the body. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Jose, was there. And now we see those two women as well as Salome coming back to the tomb here in Mark in verse one. And they're coming back to complete the burial tasks for the body of Jesus. So back in Mark, verses two to four, and very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb, and they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? 
And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. So on the way to the tomb, Mark records that the women are talking and they're trying to figure out who's going to roll this big stone because it was quite large. And again, we see, a lot of, we see Mark leaving out a lot of the details that we picked up in Matthew 27. In verses 5 and 6, And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. So they encounter a young man dressed in a white robe. Matthew and Luke describe him as an angel in their Gospels. And the angel tells the women that Jesus of Nazareth has risen, and don't be alarmed. In verse 7, the angel tells the women to return to the other disciples and to tell them that they will see Jesus again in Galilee, where the ministry all began. Now in verse 8, the women were seized with trembling and astonishment, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. They were afraid because of the unusual events that were happening and the fact that they saw two angels. Luke's gospel records a second angel. So there's no doubt that, they were, that the resurrection of Jesus from the tomb was a thing of glory. And I'd like to spend a few minutes now discussing this concept of glory of the resurrection a little more. So Jesus deserves glory because he raised others from the dead. All four of the gospels record people being raised from the dead by Jesus. Now to be completely accurate, we should refer to these amazing events as miracles of resuscitation rather than resurrection. None of these people were resurrected in the same sense as Jesus was. These people were resuscitated only because they all eventually faced death again. And, that will ha- and they're now awaiting their final judgment for when Christ returns. So only Jesus was truly resurrected from the tomb because he defeated death and ascended to heaven, as we will see later. First, Mark, Matthew, and Luke all record the daughter of Jairus, the synagogue leader. She was being resuscitated from the dead. In Mark 5, we're not going to turn to these uh, today just for the sake of time, or we could spend the two hours. Like, uh, No, no, okay, we'll stay with the 30 minutes. Okay, uh, Mark 5, 35, 43 records when the 12-year-old girl died when Jesus was delayed as he was healing the bleeding woman. Next, Luke's Gospel in chapter 7, verses 11 to 17, records the resuscitation of the widow's son in the town of Nain. And then, of course, we have the famous account of Lazarus in John 11, uh, verses 1 to 44. He was raised after three days in the tomb. A time, Lazarus was so long in the tomb that the King James Version refers to him as he stinketh. So he had been there for a while. And Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. Finally, in Matthew 27, 51 to 53, uh, this records the resuscitation of the saints in Jerusalem that happened at the tombs at the time of Jesus' death. There was an earthquake and the tombs were open and the, death, the dead were raised and then Matthew goes on to record that they didn't actually enter into the holy city for a few days after that they were released from the tombs. So scripture records that Jesus raised these others from the dead. They were not resurrected, they were merely resuscitated as each of the people had to face death again and they were all awaiting judgment when Christ returns. Now, Jesus deserves glory because he truthfully predicted his resurrection. Jesus predicted his death and resurrection numerous times in all of the Gospels, and for the sake of time, I'll just go through the times that are recorded in the Gospel of Mark. 
So Jesus predicts his death and resurrection directly in Mark 8, 31. If you'd like to turn there with me, Mark 8, 31. While you're flipping, that'll give me a time to find it. So in 8.31 he says, and he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And then just in the next column in chapter 9, verse 30, on the next page, John, uh, Mark also records, they went on from there and passed through Galilee and he did not want anyone to know for he was teaching his disciples saying to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days he will rise. But they did not understand the saying, and they were afraid to ask him. And then the third time that Jesus directly taught his disciples about his death and resurrection occurs in Mark 10, verses 32 to 34. And they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them. And they were amazed, and those who followed were afraid. And taking the twelve again, he began to tell them what was to happen to him, saying, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. And they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him, and after three days, he will rise. Also, so those are three, three instances where Jesus directly taught about his death and resurrection, his coming death. In Mark, uh, Jesus also indirectly taught on his death and resurrection several times in the Gospel of Mark. We don't have time to turn to each one, but I'll sort of highlight each of them. In Mark 9, chapter 9, verse 9, Jesus tells those that were on the mountain at the transfiguration with him to Tell no one what they had seen until the Son and Man had risen from the dead. And then in Mark chapter 12, verses 10 and 11, Jesus is quoting Psalm 118, verses 22 to 23, claiming, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing and is marvelous in our eyes. And he was prophesying about him. In Mark 13, verse 26, Jesus is teaching about himself when he says, and then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. Mark 14.25 says, Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. This is where Jesus is hinting at his in, impending death. And then in, there's also two instances recorded in Mark where others repeated back his prophecies to Jesus. So once was, one time was when Jesus was on trial before the religious leaders, and another time was by the people who were mocking Jesus uh, while he was hanging on the cross. Both times, the people repeated back to Jesus the claims that he would destroy the temple and in three days he would raise it back again. Of course, we know he wasn't actually referring to the temple in Jerusalem. He was referring instead to his body. So throughout all of these predictions and teachings of Jesus that he did, that were recorded in Mark, the one clear thing was that the fact that Jesus expected to be vindicated by his resurrection. His risen body would act to remove all doubt that he was who he said he was 
and Jesus expected belief from those who saw him. So the third point I want to make this morning is Jesus deserves glory because he proved his resurrection through witnesses. The first eyewitnesses were women who went to the tomb right after sunrise. That is why some churches hold a sunrise service on Easter Sunday. The fact that women were used as witnesses is actually a proof claim in the truth of the resurrection. Because if in ancient times, women weren't, their testimony wasn't valued as much as men. So if you were to come up with a false story about a false leader, you wouldn't use women to start the story. You would use men. You would use important men to spread the lie. But scripture tells us that Christ allowed women to be the first witnesses. So that's actually a very important point to remember that proves that it wasn't a false story, that, it, that scripture can be trusted. Then, going on, Jesus appeared to two men leaving Jerusalem on the road to Emmaus. In Luke's Gospel, chapter 24, uh, why don't we turn there, Luke 24. We're not going to read the whole story, I'll, I'll skip around. Uh, Luke 24, verse 13. So that very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, two men, were traveling about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all the things that had happened. All the things that had just happened in Jerusalem. The trial, the, the crucifixion, the death, and the resurrection of Christ. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with him. And then just drop your eyes down to verse 27. And beginning with Moses, Jesus began to explain all the prophets, and he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And then in verse 30, when he was at the table with them, he, being Jesus, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were open, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. And they were so impacted by this interaction with Christ and after he revealed, and then he just vanishes. And the two men suddenly decide, we're just turning right around, we gotta go back to Jerusalem, we have to find the 11, the 11 remaining disciples, and we need to explain to them what just happened. So, John records in his gospel that Jesus again uh, appeared before the remaining apostles in Galilee, where he restored Peter, and Peter had denied Jesus three times in Jerusalem. There's also just one quick thing. There's here in, uh, in verses 36, after the two men went back to Emmaus and Jesus had disappeared, Jesus then follows them and appears to the 11 in the upper room where they were hiding. In verse 36, as they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And then in verse 41, and why they still disbelieved for, and while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate it before him. So that's the bodily resurrection right there, right? The spirits aren't hungry. So Christ is, 
he's been through a bit in the last few days, and now he's hungry, and he's asking the 11 if they had anything to eat. And then in verse 45, then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. Now we can go to John in his gospel where Jesus again appears to the 11, but he appears to them on the shores of, of Galilee. Um, and he does this, I think he does this here, was remember on the night of the crucifixion, Peter denied Jesus three times? And here on the shore of the Galilee, of the Sea of Galilee, Jesus appears and the men are out fishing and they don't recognize him at first. And then they come to shore and they, had, they weren't really catching a lot. So once again, Jesus gives them fish in the nets. And then in the Gospel of John, Jesus has that very moving interaction with Peter where he gives Peter the chance to affirm his love for Christ three times. And I think he does that three different times to make up for the three denials that Peter did. So we fully, in front of all the other apostles, Christ fully restored Peter uh, in his relationship with Jesus. So Paul, Paul, the apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse six, tells us that Jesus appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, and at the time of the writing, Paul said, most of whom were still alive at that time, and this claim was also repeated in extra-biblical literature. Uh, Josephus, the Jewish historian, also recorded that 500 witnesses had proclaimed to see Christ alive. So, and then finally, uh, Jesus appears to Saul and Ananias while Paul was in Damascus hunting down the followers of Jesus. This is recorded in Acts 9, verses three to 10. This appearance to Saul was so dramatic and impactful he changed his name to Paul. He stopped hunting the Christians. He went on several missionary churches and to share the gospel and plant churches throughout the Mediterranean. And he wrote a very large portion of what we call the New Testament today. So what an impact that personal interaction had on Paul from Jesus. Okay, so I know that was a whirlwind tour through the gospels and then some. But I wanted to show you that from scripture that we have eyewitness evidence for the resurrection of Jesus and we can have complete faith that Jesus was who he said he was and that we serve a risen savior. Our faith is not built on myth or on groundless hopes. We have a defensible faith that can stand up to scrutiny and questions and even questions from ourselves when we're having times of doubt. Christianity is not a con. It's based on truth, and that truth is not just a concept, but it is also a person, Jesus Christ. Remember in John 14, 6, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Let's bow our heads. Father, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for what you did for us on the cross. We thank you for the amazing hope that we have because of your resurrection. We can put complete faith in who you are. We see that you fulfill all of your promises. You fulfill the prophecies. 
and we just uh, thank you that we can depend on you for those abilities. And uh, we just want to take a few minutes now to, to worship you and praise you in song. And then we just pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. <laughs>